Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Blessing that they are and always willing to just step in and help. Amen. Praise God. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn to the book of Revelation chapter 6. And last week I tried to get into this and I think I kind of overloaded with information last week and I wanted to set some groundwork to this chapter and going into Revelation chapter 6 and we never really got into the meat of the chapter but tonight I'm going to get into the meat of it and, uh, and, and hopefully uh, drop something in your spirit uh, that brings some understanding to the days that are ahead. And so tonight uh, I want to talk about the wrath of the Lamb and the coming tribulation. And uh, uh, it's interesting, the book of Revelation, you know, as we look into this book, we look into the future. We look into the days that are coming. And uh, we don't all know the future, but we know the God that does know the future. Amen? And he has revealed some of it to us, uh, and Satan doesn't even know the future. And, but we do know this, that God through his word has revealed some of it to us, and we can look into it and see some of the days that are coming. And, uh, and one of the things that God uh, has revealed is that this world is on a collision course with judgment. Can I just tell you that? That this world is on a collision course with judgment. Now that's not popular, but it's true. This world is on a collision course. Now one of the ways God will judge uh, this world is to let it have its own way. And uh, it may get its own way, but it may not like what it gets. And that is the truth. And there's coming a time that the Bible calls the great tribulation or the wrath of the Lamb. Now we're going to look at two verses at the end of this chapter, and then we're going to go back and look at the context uh, in, in throughout the chapter. If you'll look at verses 15 and 16 with me, and let us read this together. And the Bible says in verse 15, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. From the wrath of the Lamb. And verse 17, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? You know, when we look at this word, Jesus, when he walked on the earth, warned of this day, a day called the Great Tribulation. And Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21, you can write that in your margin. Matthew 24 and verse 21, the Bible tells us this it says, It says, Jesus said this, For then there will be a great tribulation such has not been seen uh, since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever will there ever be anything like it. There's coming a time on the earth unlike any time in human history that has never been seen before, has never been known before or seen before. Now in our study, we have... uh, We've come a a little ways. We began with Revelation talking about the things that thou hast seen. And we've seen the vision of Christ. And we talked a little bit about the message to the seven churches. uh, And we talked about the church age. And then we talked about 
the, at the end of the church age, the rapture of the church, and uh, at the end of the church age when the church is raptured. And uh, Jesus said that the church is salt and light. And, uh, and when the church is raptured, salt and light will be removed from the earth. And so you have a time period when the church is gone and has been taken out of the earth. And so the salt and light has been removed from the earth. Now when the salt is taken out, when salt is taken out, what begins is putrefaction or corruption happens when salt is taken out. When light is taken out, darkness ensues. And so when the church is taken out, we will move into a, a time known as the Great Tribulation or the Wrath of the Lamb. And uh, we see here, we talked about it uh, uh, in the book of Revelation, Jesus received the scroll from the hand of God the Father. And in the scroll contains seven seals, and he begins to break these seals. And as the seven seals are open, we see the Great Tribulation as it begins. Revelation 6 deals with six of these seals that introduce a time on earth that has never been seen before, or what we could call, uh, I call it, hell's holiday. A time never ever that we have seen before. Now, in the context of Revelation 6, the church is already gone. The salt and light of the earth, which is the church that restraineth even evil today, has been taken out of the world. This is the beginning of the tribulation period. If you do not go in the rapture, this is what you can look forward to. And take some notes because if you don't go, you might need those notes later on. If you're, if you're, if you're left behind and have to stick around during this time. But let's open this seal. I talked about the first seal just a little bit last week. But I, wanna, I want to get more context into it this week. I didn't do a very good job of explaining it. But I want to talk about the six seals, the wrath of the Lamb and the coming judgment. The first seal that we see is what I call militant conquest. And we see it in Revelation chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. Now I saw when the Lamb opened the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So this first seal is open. And when, you op when he opens this seal, there is the four beasts in the passage here, uh, in reference here, are not a reference to beasts as heinous beasts, or beasts that are, 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 are you know, heinous in nature. Uh, the word here for beast used in the passage in the Greek as a word where we get our word uh, zoo, or zoology, you know, the word is zoe, or zoo. It means living ones. It means living creatures. It's in reference to the four living creatures. The four beasts have special characteristics. Now, I believe these are angels and cherubims around the throne. If you'll do me the honor of turning back to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 7, the Bible says the four living creatures was like a lion. The second uh, creature was like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was uh, like flying as an eagle. And so we see the description of these four beasts. And the scripture tells us the beasts are like, but they're not. In other words, they're not a lion. 
They're not a calf. They're not a man. They're not an eagle. But the, the, in other words, it's telling us that their description is symbolic. It is a symbolic description of who they are. These living ones may be cherubims, uh, the highest class of angels. Uh, they deal with the grace and glory and government of God around the throne. Now, the Bible said that the first beast had the face like a lion. This speaks of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second beast had the face of a calf or an ox. And when we think of an ox, we think of servitude or sacrifice. This speaks of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The third beast had the face of a man. This speaks of the humanity of Jesus Christ. The fourth beast had the face of an eagle. That speaks of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, these reflect the glory of the Lord, of Christ himself around the throne. They reflect his majesty, his ministry, his humanity, and his deity. Some also have said that they also represent the four gospels. Matthew represents the lion of Christ. Uh, uh, it shows Jesus as king. It shows Jesus as in his majesty. The book of Mark shows the suffering servant of Christ, uh, the crucified son of God who, who served mankind. The book of Luke speaks of Jesus' humanity, his virgin birth, and, 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 and throughout the book of Luke. The book of John speaks of the Lord of heaven, of his deity, and of his majesty, and of his deity, of who he was. And so when we look at this here in, Re in Revelation uh, in this description, what we're seeing is around the throne, these beasts are symbolic. And they could, they could be symbolic of the four gospels. They could be symbolic of the majesty, of the ministry of Jesus. And then as we look here, it's interesting. Last week I told you that uh, it said the rider of the white horse uh, uh, called forth in verse 2, and I looked and behold, a white horse who sat on it had a bow, a crown, and was given to him and went out to conquering, conquering to conquer. And um, it said in verse 1 that there was a voice like thunder. In other words, it was a voice like an announcement. In other words, it was like the announcement of, those, of, of what's coming, and you could hear the hooves of those four horses coming as they're being announced and as they're being released as they come forth in heaven. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. Now, this is interesting. I've told you last week that most scholars believe that this is a picture of the Antichrist who comes and he comes with a bow but not an arrow. And he comes to conquer but he's not conquering with force. He's conquering some other way. And that he's been given, uh, he's went out to be conquered. He's been given a crown which is a crown of, of victory. It's not a crown of dominion. But it is a crown of victory. He's been awarded a crown for something that he has accomplished in this passage. And I told you that this could be the Antichrist. Some had said, now there's been all kinds of conversation about who this rider is. Some have said that the rider of the white horse uh, is Christ himself. And some com commentators uh, uh, say it's Christ. Some have said that it's, um, uh, that it's the Antichrist, 
But I, I want to, I as I studied into this this week, I told you it was the Antichrist, but I think it's, it's not the Antichrist personally himself, but I think it's, it's, more, it's a little different than that, and, and I want to share that with you tonight. Some com- commentators uh, says that he, he may re- even represent not only Christ and the Antichrist, but he may represent the four Gospels and their power and their goals and their peaceful conquest of the globe. I've read some com- commentators that have believed that. Um, but I do believe when you interpret Scripture, you have to understand that one of the first uh, things that we were taught in seminary about interpreting Scripture is that you always interpret Scripture by the context of the Scripture. You don't just get to say whatever you want to say about something. And just because you read it a certain way doesn't mean you just get to say whatever you feel about it. And this is what I think about it. That's not how you interpret Scripture. And one of the, one of the ways you interpret Scripture is I use a couple of different ways. Uh, one is I always look back to first reference. First reference helps you interpret Scripture because where it is mentioned first in Scripture, uh, it usually has the same reference all the way through Scripture. But also understanding that interpret Scripture, you must understand the context of the Scripture. And what is the context? And I believe the Holy Spirit himself interprets the symbolism of the the fourth horseman. If you look down um, to uh, verse... um, uh, verse 8, the Bible says when he described the fourth horseman, so I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death, right? So it's not a rider as a person, but it's more of not a person, but a personification. It's not a person, but it's a personification of of things most unpleasant. So in the context of the scripture, when we read about the rider, the fourth horse, the rider is described as death. It's the personification. We can also interpret the previous three horses as the rider as a personification and not necessarily a person. So the rider who personifies um, those factors in in to the equation of the last days that undermine the world and prepare for uh, God's final judgment. In other words, uh, he, he, the personification is, is that he won victories peacefully. And this represents the blas- I believe this represents the blasphemous philosophies of the last days. Those anti-Christian ideologies that prepare men's minds for the devil's gospel and the ultimate deception of of strong delusion, the great lie which the scripture says will happen in those last days. What I believe that this is talking about, that it is referencing the personification of who the Antichrist is when he is on the scene. But the personification, but I believe this represents all of the blasphemous um, lies all the philosophies of the last days that have prepared men's hearts to be ready uh, to be deceived and be fall into deception. You say, well, you're going to have to give me a little bit more than that. I'm glad you asked. If you'll turn to the book of Thess- 2 Thessalonians, 
2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 with me. Just turn there real quick with me. I want to show you a passage of Scripture and read these Scriptures to you. We'll reference them a couple times tonight. But uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Chapter 2 and beginning in verse 3. Um, I want to read you um, this passage of Scripture here in Thessalonians gives us a little bit of the identity of the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now who is the son of perdition? That is the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? This is Paul speaking to the church. And now you know what what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And I'm going to share with you what that is in just a moment. And then the lawless one will be revealed, who the Lord will, cons- who the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, the coming of the lawless one in accordance with the working of Satan and with all power, signs, and what? Lying wonders. And with all unrighteousness, Deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Look at verse 10. And with all unrighteous, unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send what? A strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So what is being talked about here is that this white horse who's gone out to conquer, that he's gone out to conquer, that he's not conquered with force, but he's won victory, he's won over, not by force, but believe that he's won over by deception. He's won over by deceiving. And this is what I truly believe. I believe that we are living in the shadows of the last days. In other words, that what is a reality after the church is gone in the tribulation, we see the shadow of that today. We see the setting up of that today. I'm telling you, there is a setting up for the last days. There is a setting up. And I believe that those who do not believe, trust Christ and put their trust in Christ, there is a strong delusion that will bring a deception to many who will believe the lie instead of believing in Christ. And when the church is gone and we've been lifted up out of here and the restraint of the Holy Spirit is gone, all of a sudden the magnitude of that force will be revealed in ways like we've never seen before. And I believe that's coming. Dr. John Phillips says, 
Um, the coming events always cast their shadow before them. The rider on the white horse is not yet aboard. Uh, not yet aboard that horse for the restrainer is still here and the book is still sealed. But we can see the shadow of that horse on every hand. We can see how, how radically and rapidly ideologies can change the world. Is that not right? In other words, what happens is when, when restraint is removed from the earth, the blasphemous propaganda will be released, the anti-God propaganda will be released, and it will spread throughout the world like we've never seen it spread throughout the world. Now you say, well, what is that? What is that propaganda? Well, let me, let me give you, for example, the rapid spread. Let me just give you two things that I think are at work now, even in this, in this, in this hour, two things that we have to not be deceived by. And one of them, I think, is very prominent. But this first one is the rapid spread of what I call communist ideology. The communist, communist vision is simply the vision of man without God. With the communist propaganda, with, with the communist propaganda is always first. It's ceaseless, tireless, ambiguous. It acts as a stimulant, as a narcotic. It excites and soothes, proclaims a high ethic, and undermines virtue, but always deceives. It is spread by all Communicate all communication media. It's written, it's spoken, it's sung, it's danced. It reaches into all nations. It speaks all languages and dialects. Attracts all social media. It uses uh, front organizations. It employs its slogans. It demonstrates. It parades. It incites. It sabotages. And it even riots. It holds schools and seminars. It arranges trips behind the iron and bamboo curtains. It spreads billions of dollars a year and employs hundreds and thousands of agents. It is hard at work undermining everything honorable and decent in the world. I believe that spirit has been released in the earth. I believe we're living in the shadow of that. The spirit of communism is working even in this hour. What did it tell us in Thessalonians? It said for the work for the spirit of lawlessness is at work even right now, the hour we live. And I'm telling you, there is a world that has fallen for it. They're being engaged in. But I want to talk about one that I think is even more dangerous and even a dang more dangerous shadow even now. Um, I want to talk about the spread of humanistic philosophy. Humanism has taken deep root in the Western world. It is a secular religion with many similarities to communism. Let's talk about what humanism emphasizes. It emphasizes evolution. There is no real evidence that God exists. The universe is the result of chance, life forms gradually emer emerging over millions of years. It, 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 it emphasizes situational ethics. Man is the final authority for his own actions. There are no absolute rules. Do you all know that that's happening even right now? That, that the humanism is being taught that there's no absolute rules. I'm here to tell you this book is an absolute. 
This book is an authority. This book is an absolute. And there is absolute truth. There is moral, uh, it emphasizes moral freedom. Everyone, including children of any age, should be exposed to all viewpoints that are realistic, including profanity, immorality, and perversion. All seen as acceptable methods of self-expression. The Christian gospel is not realistic, so it has no place in the humanistic system. Self-sufficiency. Man is not accountable to any higher power. He is responsible only to himself. Sexual permissiveness. All forms of sexual expression are acceptable and should be taught in school free from biblical, what they call biblical bias. Anti-religious bias. Religion is harmful. It is, it is either meaningless or irrelevant to the question of the survival of the fulfillment of the human race. I'm here to tell you that Christianity is the source of life for the human race. We, are, we have been made by our Creator. Anti-religious bias. Do we not see that happening even right now in our world? Socialism. Government ownership or control of the economy should replace private enterprise and private ownership of property. There should be an all-pervasive welfare state. Humanism believes in one world government or emphasizes global citizenship should replace national self-determination. There should be a system of world law enforced by international police force transcending national federal government. I'm here to tell you that one of the things that I'm scared of is that, that in our country is that they're trying to denationalize us. They're preparing us for one world systems. They're trying to take away our individual rights in our nation and, de- and desensitize us to being patriotic. I want you to know I love America and I'm an American. And we have a constitution and rights. And I want to tell you, if you are patriotic today, you're criticized for being patriotic. We need to have a rebirth of pride in this nation for who we are and where we've come from. And and I'm telling you, we have fallen into the lie that our founding fathers were nationalists. They weren't. They, They were, our founding fathers were godly. Many of them were godly. This nation was founded on the principles that God was our creator, that God gave us individual rights to individuals, and that we submit to those rights above everything else. And so there's this movement to to denationalize our nation. The death death, death education. Listen, I just read an article recently um, where they were talking about there is no life beyond the grave and that because there's no life beyond the grave, that justifies uh, a couple of things. It justifies euthanism. In other words, to euthanize the weak and the old and also to it justifies abortion. It justifies suicide. Uh, uh, that all these things are acceptable and that they should be enhanced 
Humanism enhances them. Why? Because there is no life after death. And so you population control and then human destiny. Men should take charge of their own future and realize that he has within him the power to achieve the world of his dreams. This creed is verbalized in the Humanist Manifesto, first drawn up in 1933 and updated in 1973. This creed is now being taught to millions of our public schools by teachers who perceive the roles in the classroom as that of missionaries of humanism, humanistic religion. The creed per, uh, pervades our government, our courts, our educational institutes. It has invaded our government, our courts, our educational institutions, our media, and even flows through our liberal churches. It is a creed tailor-made for the coming Antichrist, It is a preparing the world for the breaking of the seals when all restraint will be removed and when global upheaval will prepare a final path for world government of the devil's Messiah. And that's what's happening. Is There's the shadow of this prevailing philosophy. The Antichrist will be the devil's Messiah. You all know that. Jesus prophesied... Jesus prophesied this of this false Messiah whom the world would wonder wonder after. In John chapter 5 and verse 43, Jesus said this. Let me read this to you. John chapter 5 and verse 43. The Bible says, I have come in my Father's name and you did not receive me. If another one comes in his own name, him you will receive. In other words, Jesus prophesied that there is one that is coming that is going to come in his own name. He, the world will be ripe for the devil's Messiah. And so the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, talks about the Antichrist and describes him as one who is crafty and is crafty to prosper. His policies will be deceptive and crafty. and He will magnify himself. As the scripture says, in other words, he will have a personal ego. There will be pride that that runs through him. He will stand up against the prince of princes. In other words, he will stand up against Christ himself. He will seemingly bring about world peace and the world will follow him. And the world will be awestruck by him. They will worship at his feet. But he will be Satan's superman. And he will be all of the Caesars, the Napoleons, the Hitlers, the Stalins, the Saddam Husseins, all rolled up into one. And the world is ripe. See, by all of these philosophies being unleashed in the earth, the world is being prepared for this moment. I've thought, have you ever thought about what's going to happen in the world when the church leaves? How are they going to explain our disappearance? I'm telling you, they're going to have all of the talking heads from all the great universities describing what happened to the Christians. Here's what they're going to say. They're going to say they weren't really Christians. They were bigoted. They were haters. They were racist. They were all, and, that's who, and God just wiped them out. That's they're going to be their expression. There's going to be these unsaved preachers get on TV and talk about this release And this freedom that comes. Now the world can have peace because the Christians are gone. 
I'm telling you, all hell's going to break loose. They have no idea what's about ready to happen. They have no idea what's about ready to be opened up. And it, it's, a, it's a can of Jesus on them is what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, this world is headed for a collision course of judgment. And he that is on this white horse is going to release. There's philosophies that have been released in the earth, and people are buying them. They're buying them. I, I posted something about John Adams on, on my Facebook page, and I have a family member that always harasses me. She's always harassing me. She's not saved. She needs to get saved. And, I, you know, I think she creeps and watches my sermons. And then, you know, if she's watching tonight, you need to get saved. You know, quit writing bad stuff on my post. You need Jesus and you need delivered. Y'all pray for her. Melissa. Didn't mean to. Always her. I didn't say a last name. Always harassing. Listen, we got to be truthful in this hour. Because the delusion of the enemy is out there. I'm telling you, our government is falling for it. Our politicians are falling right into the trap. And when the church is gone, that strong delusion is going to ramp up. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will no longer be here to convict men. The Holy Spirit will be gone and men will be left to themselves to do what they want to do. It's going to be a wild world. I'm not going to be here and I hope you're not either. <laughs> Number two, the second seal. Murderous convictions. Murderous conflicts. When the devil-inspired leader appears on the world stage with the ideas of world, of world peace, it will follow with conquest, conquest, war, and destruction will follow. There, the Bible tells us in verses 3 and 4 of Revelation chapter 6, it says, And when he opened the second seal, I heard, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse... A fiery red went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. A great sword was given to him. He's taken peace from the earth. Now this red horse symbolizes and represents blood. The Lord Jesus warned that in the last days, that there would, in Matthew 24 and 6, he said that in these last days, there will be wars and rumors of wars. The Bible does not prophesy that the world is going to get better. I hate to bust some of your bubbles, but the Bible does not say our world is getting better and better. The truth is it's going to get worse and worse. And, uh, and, and it's going to get worse and worse and and. I'm telling you that, you know, the world has stockpiles of weaponry, stockpiles of all kinds of weaponry. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, hatred will be inflamed in men's hearts. The Bible says, brother will kill brother, father will slay sons. Without the prince of peace and the salt and light of the church, hatred will run unrestrained. Swords will drip with blood. Not only will there be wars between nations, but there will also be class wars, race wars, 
religious wars. Do you not see the shadow of that already happening in our culture? We already have race wars. We already have religious wars. There's already class wars that are going on. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel 38, 21, every man's sword shall be against his brother. And what it's telling us in this second seal is that war is going to break out. Nations are going to fight nations. What they thought was peace is going to turn into hatred and blood will fill the streets, that these wars will continue. They'll be fighting one another, raising up against one another. I had read an article not too long ago. It was interesting. And, uh, and it was talking about a book that was entitled, uh, A Report from the Iron Mountain. It was published some time ago, and it claimed to be, uh, to be suppressed, a suppressed government report the results of a high-level study on the role played by war in the modern world. The book was highly controversial. Some maintained it was a hoax. Others claimed it was all, uh, authentic. The study was allegedly conducted by 15 scientists representing a wide range of disciplines. The group included a historian, a political theorist, a professor of international law, an economist, a sociologist, a cultural anthropologist, a physical, a, a, uh, a physical, a physical chemist, a biochemist, uh, a communications theorist, a systems analyst, a war planner, and an industrialist. The group was told to waste no time on agonizing over culture and religious values. It was given the same kind of treatment um, uh, to, hypo- to hypothetical problems of peace has been given to the hypothetical problems of nuclear war. And so these, they gathered together to study war. And this was their conclusion. Their first conclusion was that wars would cease if the will, if the will to make, it make them cease was there. But since war itself is at the root of mankind of mankind's social system, it is not likely that peace will ever be a serious goal. No substitute is known that can better stabilize and control national economies. War, moreover, is the foundation of stable government. Every governing body that has failed, that has failed to sustain the continuing credibility and existential threat of war has lost control of its constituency. The, war found, the, the report found no satisfactory substitutes for war. There was no alternative. That war was interwoven in the fabric of man. The overall conclusion reached was that war is essential to society as, as, as now constituted, and it would be irresponsible to remove the war system until it was known exactly what they could put in its place. Maybe that's why the scripture says in Romans 3.17, the way of peace uh, have they not known. In other words, the answer to war, hatred, and the outpouring is the prince of peace. You can't have peace without Jesus. You can't have, you, and that's why it said in Romans, for they have not known the way of peace. They don't know the way of peace because they don't know 
the Prince of Peace. i got to get through these quickly and hurry. I'm out of time. The third seal, the third seal is meager crops. Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he that sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Some translations say a penny, not a denarius. It's interesting. This black horse represents famine. So you have false peace, and then you have uh, this uprising that breaks out, which leads to war in the tribulation. And when war and bloodshed is being spilled out, the third seal that is open here in Revelation, the black horse represents famine, because after war is famine. As night follows day, so does famine follow war. The Bible said the rider of this horse held in his hand balances or scales. And in other words, it's a picture of food being rationed. The scripture states that a measure of wheat was sold for a penny or a denarius. The word penny there doesn't mean copper penny. In the Greek, the word means denarius or what was given for a day's wages. In other words, uh, the measure of wheat is about one quart, a whole day's labor would be just enough of a meal for one person. In other words, what it's saying here, that, that famine is going to break out, and when it breaks out, the rationing of food across the earth in the famine, that men will only be able to gather a day's worth, uh, or a day's worth of wages, which would pay for one meal for one person. In other words... Food, because of war, limited productivity, economic deprivation. During war, the transportation of food and the need for it to be mobilized. Starvation will stalk the world. Starvation will stalk the world. You know, I was reading today that um, the world has 1.3 billion people who go to bed each night hungry in the world. You realize that 15% of the, in the U.S. of all edible food ends up in the garbage? Isn't that amazing when you think about it? And the Bible tells us, Matthew 24, 19 talks about this time period and says during the famine, it says, woe unto what the pregnant, the pregnant and the nursing mothers and it talks about that the shortage, the famine will be so, will be so severe that babies will, will gnaw on dry breast and not get nourishment. And think about this season and this time. Think about if you lived that you were only given, a, you could only earn a week's wages, a day's wages in a week. And that's all that you had to buy. And you could buy food for one person in your household a day, who would eat? If you have children, who would eat? Would you ration it between your children? How would you dish it out? I mean, to have to make those decisions. This is what's coming. This is the hour that's going to come when this third seal is broken, 
We have war and then famine will break out. And then we see the four seal, the manifold carnage, the pale horse in verses 7 and 8. It says, and when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the four living creatures say, come. And so I looked and behold, a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades followed with him and power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger and with death and by the beast of the earth. This is interesting. Do we see the chain reaction that's going to happen? Once the church is out of here, there's going to be this chain reaction that happens as being released as these seven seals are opened up during the tribulation period. We will see this chain reaction. First, the Antichrist will come on the scene and sin will cause hatred. Hatred causes war and bloodshed. War brings famine. Famine produces death and after death comes hell and judgment. The aftermath of war can bring more death than war itself. A lot of times after war, death comes even after the war is over. It talks about two things, famine and epidemics. Pestilence will be rampant. You know what I read this week is that one of the dangers in so many vaccines and so many antibiotics in America is this, is that it leads to more resistance to germs. In other words, the more antibiotics we take, the more less resistance we have to germs in our system. And the more medicines that are produced can cause us down the road as a people to be more susceptible to more dangerous epidemic and germs. The word death in this passage has the idea of plagues, pestilence. You know, we, there, are, there are nations that have an arsenal of weaponry that can, release, that can release bacteria and release uh, different diseases into the world. I've even read where some people believe that the coronavirus was released purposely as a weapon of war or as a weapon of retribution. I've read, I've read that. I've heard people talk about it. I don't know how true it is, but what are we seeing? The shadows of what's to come. The shadows of what is happening and what is about to take place. I'll finish up here quickly. We have the last two seals. We have the fifth seal, which is the martyr of the Christians, verses 9 through 11. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw the altar of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white horse, then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who will be killed as they were, uh, as they were and was completed. I, there will be those who will come to Christ in the tribulation period. There will be those who will, who will turn to Christ in the tribulation people. And, but let me tell you, those who do will pay a great price. And when they turn to God during the tribulation, 
when they refuse to take the mark of the beast, they will become objects of Satan's hatred and wrath. Matthew 24, 29 tells us that it talks about those that during the tribulation period who will be hated for his name's sake. It will be a time of great persecution for the saints in the tribulation. And Revelation 20 and 4 tells us that not only are they going to be persecuted, but one of the ways that they'll be led to death will be through decapitation. You can read it. Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 20 and verse 4. Satan made the, Revel, Matthew 10, 28 says, Satan may destroy the body, but he cannot destroy the soul. Amen? Anyone living in the church age who thinks they can put off salvation until after the rapture, you, won't, you probably won't be saved during the tribulation. You know why? Because the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, because in order to reject Christ now, you have to believe the lie and that there will be a strong delusion that will come upon those who did not believe on Christ. And anyone who has heard the truth and turned from the truth will believe the lie. I'm not going to take my chances. Some people say, well, I'll just wait till the tribulation and find out if all this is true. I don't know if you want to pay that price or not. Because in order to get to heaven, you're going to have to lose your life more than likely. And then we end in the sixth seal being open, which is the most devastating of all. We read through verses 12 through 14. And we see the sixth seals open and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood. And the stars of the heavens fell to the earth. As a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And when the sky receded as a scroll, when it rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. In other words, there'll be massive, massive casualty or massive cataclysms, cataclysmic uh, things. In other words, there will be severe disorder on the earth and space, and forces of nature that will be loosed upon the ungodly. There's going to be an unleashing upon the ungodly. The earth is going to unleash. There's going to be this blind panic that happens. There's going to be this dramatic change in the heavens and the earth. And those left on earth during the great tribulation will be those who have spurned and refused the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and because we know this, Jesus holds all things consistent. Jesus Christ holds all things together. Do you know Jesus holds all things together? And in the tribulation, I believe Jesus is going to loosen his grip on nature just a bit. And the Bible says there'll be a great earthquake heard around the world. The light of the sun will be shut out and the moon will turn dark. The word star there is interesting. It means heavenly body. Stars will fall to the earth. More likely that might be asteroids or meteors will hit the earth. Heavenly bodies. You know, uh, I was reading today. Do you know that there's an asteroid that is headed for earth that they are monitoring right now? It's due to hit in 2029. They've even named it. They've named it Apophorus. 
A-P-O-P-H-I-S. And the tag name is called the Chaos of God. That is the name of this asteroid that is predicted to hit the earth. You can, you can, you can Google it. You can look it up. It's to hit the earth in 2029. Scientists are concerned about it. The last asteroid that hit the earth happened in 1908 in Tungska, Russia. And it made a crater 700 miles wide in circumference and burned it to a crisp. You all remember a few years ago in 2012 when that meteor broke up in the atmosphere and it came through the earth in Russia? And when it entered the atmosphere, the speed of it and the sound of it uh, uh, broke loose. And uh, in a city there in Russia, many of the windows were broken by the sound. And, and the light uh, uh, broke the power in that area. And it was just a piece of a meteor that had broken up in the Earth's atmosphere and, and, and had caused all that chaos. Well, just think of all of that. And the Bible says, the heavens shall depart like a scroll. They shall roll up. And, and most scholars believe it'll be like a nuclear blast in the heavens. If you've ever seen a nuclear blast, there's this force that is blown out. And then it, then it creates a vacuum and pulls back in. That the rolling up of the heavens, that there's going to be such devastation that happens. And then that leads us to... Verses 15 and 16 that I read, when these seals will be opened one by one, we see in verses 15 and 16 this colossal prayer meeting that happens. And we see this prayer. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man. What did they do? They hid themselves in the caves, in the rocks of the mountains, and they said to the mountains and rocks... What they say, they said to creation, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. In other words, they rejected the rock of ages and prayed to the rocks. Right? When they should have been calling out for mercy to God, they prayed to the forces of nature rather than praying to the Creator. And so when you read this chapter and you read these seals being opened up and you read what's getting ready to come on the earth, <coughs> if you miss the rapture, this is, this is what you are going to see happen in these seven years of tribulation. And you say, Pastor, are you trying to frighten me? Yes, I am. <laughs> well, I don't believe in a religion that's, that's based on fear. Well, let me just tell you this. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? And here's the thing. Men don't fear God today. We strut around the earth. They strut around the earth and they think they're too good to be damned. They, the arrogance of this hour the way men have shook their fists at God. We see it in the, every realm of morality. There's already a delusion that has been leased on the earth. But I believe God's going to send a revival that's going to touch this world.
and touch our nation. And you say, is there a way out? There is a way out. The great tribulation is coming, but there is a way out. And his name is Jesus. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, this is my church is not going through the rapture scripture. I don't believe the church is going through the rapture because of this promise in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. This is what it says. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one thing to go through the judgment of God. It's another thing to go through the wrath of God. And he has not appointed us to wrath. When you read scripture and you see judgment, when God brought judgment upon his people, it was for restoration. Judgment was never meant to destroy men. Judgment was always to bring men back to God. When God judged Israel in the book of Judges, what did he do? He was bringing them back to him. Consequence for sin is always should be a response to repentance. A response to come back to God. When we face the consequences of sin and judgment comes on our lives because we live in disobedience to the word of God, that is to pull us back to God. And I'm telling you, I think God is allowing certain things to happen in our nation. And you can call them judgment if you want. But I'm, I believe God is trying to get our attention. He wants to draw us back to him. Draw us back to him. But when the wrath of God shows up, it's all over. It's all done. It's coming. It's over. Stand with me tonight if you would. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.